Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Dukkha, and of course the ending of Dukkha, and in the context of the practice, perhaps um, perhaps shedding a little bit of light on exactly what it is, what is it that we're giving attention to, and why are we giving attention to it? For example, why the breath? Why give attention to the breath? Why give attention to the body? And um, just to kind of set it up, I just want to read a a paragraph from the Buddha's very first discourse. And in this discourse, um, it's it's really um, quite an amazing discourse. It's only two pages long, and, oh, sorry, three pages long, and um, could be condensed to two pages. But it, um, in, in that short, in this short discourse, he gives all of the basic teachings, all of the most important teachings. And I think we could take this one discourse and spend lifetimes just meditating on this one discourse. And one of the paragraphs in it, in, in the, so in the paragraph, one of the main points that he makes is outlining the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And he goes through each of the Four Noble Truths and, and gives a paragraph description of what he means by it. And so with the, the, first, the first noble truth, he says, now this is the noble truth of dukkha. Birth is dukkha. Aging is dukkha. Illness is dukkha. Death is dukkha. Union with what is displeasing is dukkha. In other words, getting what we don't like. Separation from what is pleasing, loss of what we like, is dukkha. Not to get what one wants is dukkha. Okay, so in this in this sentence, in this just in this one sentence, he outlines, as far as I can figure out, he outlines pretty much every condition, every situation we can find ourselves in where we experience dukkha. And so he's, he's really pointing out the, the situations in which we experience dukkha. And, um, and just a, a, a few comments. Um, aging, aging is dukkha. So aging is the, is the common 
translation of the word jarapi, the Pali word jarapi. The actual dictionary translation of jarapi is decrepitude. <laughs> so, so I, 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 I like that translation because, the, uh, because it gives the sense that, that this, this aging, the, the, the dukkha of aging, it, it's not about the number of years. It's not about the number of years. So we have people who are in their 80s and 90s. Um, my mother-in-law this weekend is, is celebrating, I can't remember, it's her 93rd or 94th birthday, and she can run circles around me with her energy. So some people, you know, some people well into the 80s, 90s, even over 100, have lots of energy, lots of vitality, minds are very sharp and clear. And then other people, we have other people, you know, quite young, and maybe you know some people, maybe in their 20s, 30s, even in teens, who, whose body-mind is in a state that we could say, you know, they're, they're old. And, and I know myself, at times, I, I see it has nothing to do with number of years, because at times I feel, you know, I feel no different than I did 20 years ago, and at other times I feel the way I imagine I'm going to feel 20 years from now. And so it's the, it's, the, the, it's the condition of the mind-body. It's about the condition of the mind-body. So decrepitude, and, and I think we would all agree that with decrepitude, we, we tend to experience dukkha. We're not, we're not very good at, um, at gracefully opening to our decrepitudes. <laughs> the, um, the, the commentaries use an, an image for which I, I find very interesting because it can be taken a couple of different ways. And the image that's used in the main commentary is a garden gone to seed. And, uh, and so it has, the, it has the sense of, you know, of, of decrepitude, of aging, of kind of falling apart. But it also, there's also, you know, in, in a garden gone to seed, there, there also is a beauty and there is a... There is a um, yeah, there's a beauty in, in a garden gone to seed. And, and I think it's, it's pointing out that the, the dukkha in the decrepitude, it's not in the decrepitude itself. It's in how we relate to it. And we can relate to it in a way that's, oh, decrepitude, oh, I don't like this, I don't want this. And, um, and certainly we spend, as a culture, we spend, I don't know, probably billions of dollars every year on all kinds of ways to, to prevent and to stop and to cover up decrepitude. And, and to some extent there's some value in it, but, but the extent that we go to to try and pretend it's not happening, this is dukkha. So we can take that attitude toward, toward it, or we can open to it and accept this is, this is what's happening. Aging happens. Decrepitude happens. And we do what we can to take care of ourselves, but not get caught up. Not get caught up in trying to prevent it. Trying to stop it. Trying to pretend that it's not happening. And this, this points to the, the, Buddha's, the Buddha's opening paragraph. His opening statement in, in this discourse is about the middle path. The middle path is the path that avoids going to extremes. So the one extreme is that relationship to decrepitude. Oh, it's a terrible, horrible thing. Don't like it, don't want it. Pretend it's not happening, cover it up. 
And, and the other extreme is just, oh, this is just decrepitude, you know, it's, it's inevitable and I'm stuck with it. And so the middle path, so there's a, there's a middle path. The middle path is not going to the extremes. And, and so, the, so one, one of the things that the Buddha calls on us to do is to explore what does the middle path mean? What, is, what, is, what exactly is the middle path? What does it mean to live a life that does avoid, that doesn't get caught up in the extremes? So aging is dukkha, illness is dukkha, illness is dukkha. I think we can all relate to that. We've all had times in our lives where we've experienced some dukkha and not being very graceful with it, <laughs> not being very gracious, not being very, not being very kind to ourselves in the face of illness. And, and in that not being kind to ourselves, perhaps not being able to take proper care of ourselves with our illness. And perhaps, um, yeah, not being, not being able to take care of ourselves and not, not being able to have ease with it. Not being able to have some ease, but really getting caught up in the illness and possibly even using the illness to define ourselves long after the illness is gone. And, and so the illness, the illness becomes dukkha. And so it's, again, it's, it's not the illness itself, but it's, it's the relationship to it, the relationship to it. And, and so in illness, there is the potential, and I think, I think for most of us, very strong potential for, for, for creating and for experiencing dukkha with illness. Um, of course, getting what we don't like, we can, we, can, we can easily see the dukkha in that, the, the struggle, the resistance, the not wanting, not liking, wanting to get rid of. All of this struggle, all of this turmoil, all of this conflict, all of the stress in this, even, even, you know, even just to the, the most subtle degrees of resistance, this is dukkha. Separation from what is pleasing, separation from what we like or from who we like, loss, the sense of loss. In loss, we experience dukkha because we don't like it. We don't like it. We want to hold on. We want to keep that what we like, that which we love, that who we love. And, it's, and it can be very difficult for us to accept the inevitability of loss and separation. We just don't like that idea. <coughs> separation from what is pleasing. Not to get what one wants is dukkha. Not to get what one wants. And so we see that too. We want something and we're not getting it. You know, and it could be anything. It could be a tangible thing. It could be a, a partnership. It could be a job. It could be um, some meditation experience. Uh, it could be anything. It's, it's limitless what it could be. <clears throat> and we, when we want it and we keep struggling to get it, that, that, that not getting it and the, and the determination to get it at any cost, this is, this is, this is dukkha. This is dukkha. 
So how many how many times have 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 we experienced um, wanting something, wanting to get something, or wanting to become something, or to become someone, and or wanting to make something happen, and we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to make it happen, and it's not happening, and we get frustrated and we push harder, and it just doesn't happen, and we get caught up in the struggle to make it happen. And how often have we experienced this and then we get to a point where we just give up and stop and then miraculously something happens. Sometimes it's even exactly what we were struggling to get. When we let go of the struggle then it happens. That struggle, that, that forcing, that pushing, that striving, this is the dukkha. So all these, all these different, um, different situations, and then birth and death, birth and death. And, and again, it's, it's, not, it's not just the fact of birth or the fact of death that are dukkha. Again, it's, it's the, re- the relationship to it. And of course, we see it with, with death. We see how much struggle there is with death, how much, how much we struggle with with the idea of death, you know, not not wanting it, not wanting it to happen to ourselves, and not wanting it to happen to others, especially those who we love. And um, and we see and we and we see that we see that even long before we're going to die. <laughs> You know, even, even in the midst of our most healthy time of life, there can come up anxiety about death, not liking death, not wanting it to happen. And, and, and we, we kind of, we, we're, we're protected from it, we're sheltered from it, we're hidden from it. We, keep it. we tend to keep it hidden away so that we don't have to face it. This is all dukkha. This is dukkha. It's, it's wonderful how, how it seems that more and more we're, we're coming around to, to accepting death as part of life. And, and more and more people are, are finding ways of, of, of passing, of dying with, with dignity and with grace and with, with gratitude for life. And, and hopefully, hopefully we, can, we, can explore, we can explore death and our ideas about death in, and explore possibilities for death in ways that we can we can create the conditions for our own grace and dignity in facing death of ourselves and of others. So all these all these different these different situations, these different circumstances, different different conditions under which we experience dukkha and the different ways in which we experience dukkha. And then the Buddha makes, he makes a statement, so he outlines these conditions, and then he makes a very, a very concise and a very precise statement that kind of underlies all of it. He, he says in summary, so he's, so he's going to sum it all up in one little statement. In summary, the five aggregates fueled by clinging are dukkha. The five aggregates fueled by clinging are dukkha. And um, have you talked at all about the five aggregates? 
Just a little. Just a little. So you're a little bit familiar with the five aggregates. So the so the five aggregates are um, what can we say five 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 conditions, five components, five arisings, and when these um, when these conditions or these arisings when these arisings come together and they they interact together, we can use them as kind of a model to define what we call me. So the five aggregates is a model to define or to describe what I call me. It's it's who, at the most basic level, it's who I am. It's what, what arises that gets identified with as who I am. And this and this package of five things all together creates this this form, this this structure, this being. And so the first the first of the five aggregates is the body, form, body. And of course the body is very much what we identify with as as who we are. When we look in the mirror, we say, oh, there I am, that's me. We're identifying with the form. When, when the body starts to show the decrepitude, oh, I'm getting old. I don't look so good. I don't look young anymore. We see that, we see that body and we see the changes in the body as, as me. Sometimes, sometimes we, we view the body also as, as kind of something separate from me. So, um, so we'll, 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 we'll say it's, it's my arm, Although the ar- as though the arm is something that's actually separate from me, but I own it. It's mine. And I, I take it up and I identify with as me. My arm. And then we, we identify with the condition of the body. I'm sick. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm weak. I'm short. I'm tall. I'm fat. I'm skinny. I'm this and that. So we, we identify with the body, and the body, and the body, in a sense, becomes and defines who I am. We cling to this aggregate. We cling to this aggregate. We cling to it, we try to hold on to that. We try to hold on to this body as it is, especially when it's young and strong and healthy. And, the, the, and it's that, that clinging to the body, it's that clinging to the body that creates the dukkha of aging, the dukkha of decrepitude. So the clinging to the aggregate underlies the dukkha. Because we have a body, we have sense doors. We have eyes, we have ears, we have nose, we have tongue, we have touch, the touch, um, the ability to touch. We have these, these, sense, these sense doors. And through these sense doors, we make contact with the world. Through these sense doors, we contact the world. 
So we, our connection with the world, our relationship with the world is through the sense doors, through seeing, through hearing, through tasting, through smelling, through touching. And we'll come to the mind, the sixth sense is thinking about, through thinking about. And these are our ways of connecting with the world, of contacting the world, of, of knowing the world and our, our usual familiar ways of, of understanding the world. And, the, um, and so we, we have these sense doors and we connect with the world because there are sense objects in the world. There are sense objects in the world. There are the visual objects, there are the sounds, there are the tastes, there are the tangibles that we touch. There are the odors, and through these sense objects, so these sense objects, they, they come in contact with the sense doors. They come in contact with the sense doors. Okay, so for example, the wind blowing through the trees. The wind, the air is moving, hits the trees, the trees move, and it sets up a vibration. And that vibration travels through the air, hits the ear, and hearing, hearing happens. A sound is heard. Okay? Similarly with seeing. Eyes, okay, I close my eyes and then I just open my eyes and a visual object hits the eye and the object is seen. Okay, the seeing, seeing arises. And similarly at lunchtime, you put the food in the mouth, and the tasting arises. Tasting happens. And similarly with all the sense doors. And so based on, based on the, the sense doors as part of the body aggregate, the sense doors are part of the body aggregate, coming in contact with a sense object, another one of the aggregates arises, and that's the aggregate of consciousness the aggregate of knowing, of knowing the object. Okay, so, so consciousness arises in different forms. It arises in the form of seeing. It arises in the form of hearing. It arises in the form of tasting. It arises in the form of touching. It arises in the form of smelling. And it arises in each, each of these forms of consciousness arise dependent on the conditions of coming together of a sense door and a sense object. These are the conditions that give rise to the consciousness. Okay? With, with the consciousness, with the consciousness, as the consciousness arises... So there's, there's, a, there's a coming together, there's a, a, a package here that comes together of the sense door, the sense object, and the consciousness. And with that arises another aggregate, a third aggregate, which is called perception. And perception, perception is, a, is a really interesting aggregate to look at. And, and it... Um, it's, a, it's actually, it's, it's an aggregate that, that explains a lot of our dukkha. When the, when, the, when the 
aggregate of, of perception is understood, it really explains a lot of our dukkha. Perception is the aspect of mind. So now we're coming to mind. So consciousness is an aspect of mind. So if I look overall, who am I? What do I identify with, with as me? The obvious answer is the body and the mind. This is what makes up me, my body and my mind. And so the body is the first aggregate, and the other four aggregates are different aspects of mind. And so, so the first, so the first, so one of them is the consciousness, and now we have perception. So perception has kind of two pieces to it. One piece of perception is that it's the aspect of mind that perceives an object. Perception is the aspect of mind that perceives an object as separate from other objects. It's the aspect of mind that, that delineates, that, that creates a boundary around an object, and so distinguishes that, that particular object from other objects. And an aspect of an aspect of perception that, um, that kind of fuels this or that allows it to happen is memory. Memory is an aspect of perception. And memory works to a very large degree in determining how we see things, how we smell things, how we taste things, how we feel things. So much of how we experience things is conditioned by our past experiences or what we've been told in the past. And these become memories and they affect how we perceive in the present. Okay, and, and yeah, the, 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 the most interesting to me, the most interesting aspect of perception is that in perceiving the object, in perceiving an object and, and based on memory and based on present conditions, it perceives an object and it places it somewhere out there. And also the other aspect of, of perception and also based on the memory and based on, the, on the, the delineating, perception gives a name to the object. It gives a name to the object. And so perception, what I find really interesting to look at with perception is that in the process of, in essence, creating the object, of delineating and naming the object, at the same time, what it's doing is delineating and creating the one who is perceiving the object me. And so this, this aspect, this, this aggregate of perception plays a very powerful role in creating this image of me. And it, 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 it's, it's, an, it's an image in the sense that if we, if we remember how, how consciousness arises, it arises out of a coming together. It arises out of a coming together. It arises out of an interconnectedness, a non-separateness of 
the body, the sense door, and the object. And, 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 the, and the consciousness, the seeing, the hearing, the tasting, the touching, the feeling, the, the, um, the, the smelling, the thinking, all these arise because of an interdependence, an interconnectedness. They arise because of non-separateness. And what perception does is it takes that and separates it. And in that, in that process of separating, it's creating the object, it's creating me. And then another aggregate that comes in here, the aggregate that comes in here is the aggregate that's referred to as feeling. And what is meant by feeling, and feeling is the, the second foundation of mindfulness. So you've been, you've been studying the foundations of mindfulness. So the first foundation is body, and the second is feeling. So what's meant by feeling is very simply the qualities of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And so based on, based on the perception, so very much based on memory, on past experiences, what we've been told, what we believe, what we understand, based on consciousness, the aggregate of feeling arises. And again, the, the aggregate, the, the feeling itself, is arising out of that coming together, that non-separateness. The feeling is dependent on the presence of, the simultaneous presence of the sense door, the sense object, the consciousness, the perception. The feeling arises, so the experience in that moment is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and the perception aggregate kind of pokes its finger in here, and it attributes, it attributes the feeling to the object. It gives the impression, it gives the, the, the image, it gives the sense that the object is responsible for the feeling. Rather than recognizing and knowing and understanding that the feeling actually arises out of the coming together. It's dependently arising from all of the conditions, the totality of the conditions in the moment. And in attributing the feeling to the object, it sets up, I want, I don't want. <coughs> I like, I don't like. And so the, the perception aggregate and the feeling aggregate working together, supported by the consciousness, supported by the body, give rise to the dukkha. And this process, this, this, this whole process happens so quickly, it happens so quickly, we just don't realize it's happening. And we believe our perceptions. We believe our perception and we act from our perception. We act as though the perception is true, is real. And so we act from the place of, I'm here, and everything else is out there. 
to understand, to understand this process and to understand the aggregates. Okay, so there's form. I, I, I change the order of them. There's a traditional order of them, and I change the order because I think the traditional order doesn't really give a sense of the process. But there's the form, there's the consciousness, there's the perception, there's the feeling, and then the fifth aggregate that follows on from all of this is what's referred to as mental formations. That's all the stories that arise out of the perception and the feeling. All the stories about what it is, who I am, what my relationship is, I like it, I don't like it, I wish it would go away, how can I get it? Um, Oh, I remember when things were much better. Oh, I remember when it was much worse. All the stories are the mental formations that arise out of the feelings and the perceptions. And so it's this package of these five we put together, the, the, the body, the, um, the consciousness, the perceptions, the feelings, and the stories, and all of that together becomes who I am becomes who I am and it becomes it becomes who I am simply as a construction it's a construction of the mind body the mind body constructs this image of who I am and it is just an image because it's an image of me separate from the world separate from everything else and this image is, it's, it's just an image. It's not true. It's not how it really is. It's not the real nature of things. It certainly has a function. We have to be careful not to get caught up in denial of the image. It serves function. It serves a wonderful function. You know, it, it allows us to take care of ourselves. It allows us to interact with others. It allows us to, to be in this world, to live in this world. It allows for the whole range of, of feelings and stories and, and body shapes and sizes and, and, and all of that. So it's, it's very functional. It has, it has a great... It has, very, it has value. The problem is when we start to believe it to be true. And this is, the, this is when it becomes the five aggregates fueled by clinging. When we believe it to be true, whether consciously or unconsciously, it keeps fueling it. And actually, we like to fuel it because the fueling it kind of protects the image of me. The fueling gives a sense of continuity of me. And we like continuity. There's a sense of security and safety and continuity. And we hold on to that. And the very holding on to that becomes the dukkha. The fueling of the five aggregates becomes the dukkha. 
And it's that, that fueling of the five aggregates, the, the, the clinging to, the taking up, the holding on to, the believing, the believing in this image of me traps us. And so, so an exploration of the aggregates and, and coming, to, coming to insightful understanding of the aggregates through, through, through mindfulness and investigation, through being present, through being very steady and still to be able to, to, be able to watch, to be able to perceive, to be able to experience the aggregates as they're arising and passing. And to see the arising and passing, to see the impermanent nature of the aggregates. And to see how each of the aggregates is arising and passing dependently, conditioned by each other, conditioned by all the other aggregates of the world that are arising and passing in the same moment. To, to see this again just allows for that, that releasing, that releasing of, of the identification, the, the, personal, the personalization of these aggregates as me. And it, um, and it, and it, 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 supports, it supports letting go of so many of these stories we have about ourselves that limit us. We believe the stories, we believe the mental formations, we take them up and they limit us and they prevent our freedom because we cling to them. The five aggregates fueled by clinging are dukkha. It's not the five aggregates that are dukkha. The five aggregates fueled by clinging and the clinging arises from the belief that this, that the way we perceive things of, of separateness, of me and you, me and the world, here and there, this and that, and, and the associated feelings that arise with it, believing, believing that the feelings are actually in the objects. This is the fuel. This is the clinging. And so the understanding, so the understanding of this process allows for that letting go. And the, 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 it's, I think it's, it's, um, the, the, the Buddha was, was incredibly wise in putting feelings as the second foundation of mindfulness because the, this, this feeling quality, this feeling tone, this aggregate of feeling plays such a huge role in determining, in, 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 in driving us to wanting and not wanting, driving us to liking and not liking. And, and also the, 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 um, the feeling of the, the neutral, the feeling of the neutral kind of propels us into ignoring into not giving attention. It propels us often into dullness, into boredom, into apathy. And so in the presence of, of each of these three, so easily we come into conflict and struggle with the world. 
through liking it, through not liking it, through ignoring it or denying it, pretending it's not there. And so this, this having, having the, the, the feeling as the, as the second foundation after body, I think was just such a brilliant move because it's in the, in the understanding, in the understanding of feeling and the, and the knowing of feeling as just another dependent arising and passing. It's just another conditioned arising and passing. In, in, the, in, in the knowing of that, in the, in the knowing of that, the feeling can arise and it can pass without leading us into or driving us into the wanting and the not wanting. And so the ending of dukkha, the ending of dukkha doesn't mean the ending of feelings, doesn't mean the ending of pleasant, of unpleasant, doesn't mean the ending of pleasure and pain, doesn't mean the ending of desirable and undesirable, but it, it changes it changes the relationship and it allows it allows for a freedom with whatever is showing, however it's showing. And each time we sit, each each moment of sitting or walking or standing or eating or putting on our clothes or taking off our clothes or going to the toilet, each moment of of anything, each moment is an opportunity to explore this, to look into this, to pay attention, to recognize what's the feeling, what's the feeling and how is it affecting me? How am I relating to it? What's it driving in me? And at the same time to be able to recognize the dependent arising and the dependent passing of it. And to recognize also the, 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 the characteristic of, of unsatisfactoriness of it. Unsatisfactory because the feeling so easily gets taken up and so easily drives us into the dukkha. So the practice, the, the practice when, we, when we give attention to the breathing, what we're really doing is giving attention to the body. When we give attention to the feeling quality, we're beginning to give attention to mind. We're beginning to give attention to the aggregates. And so we're beginning to give attention to this, this sense of who I am. The meditation practice, to a very large extent, is an exploration of what I believe to be me. And we explore it in order, we, we investigate it in order to come to these insights, to come to these understandings, so that there can be just this, this releasing, this releasing of the, of the, 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 um, the, the, the Buddha uses the, the term nibbana. So the Pali word is nibbana and the Sanskrit word is nirvana. And nibbana, the, the, the translation, the meaning of nibbana is extinguishing or cooling. 
And it, what it refers to is the extinguishing of this fueling. The extinguishing of this fueling that perpetuates the five aggregates, the image of the five aggregates, the belief in the five aggregates, the taking up of the five aggregates, and the dukkha that arises out of that. And so Nibbana is the extinguishing of this fueling and therefore the extinguishing of dukkha. And and we can experience this, we can, it's hard to use the word experience, it's hard to use the word we or I. But it can be known, it can be known through this exploration of what I take up as me. And so this is, this is what the practice is, the meditation is, is directing us at. So it's not, it's not so much that it's, it's not so much that we take interest in the breath. After all, the breath isn't so interesting. <laughs> it's not really taking interest in the breath. It's taking interest in what am I identifying with as me? And exploring that and coming to know it as it really is. Coming to know myself as I really am. And in that, letting go of the clinging to any image of myself. Letting go of any idea, any belief of who I am. Doesn't mean I don't have images and I don't have beliefs, but just to not take them up and to see that's all it is. It's just an idea. And like all other ideas, this idea too arises and it will pass. So a real encouragement to make use of, of these, these days together, to make use of this time, to really make full use. It's a really, um, it's a very, very special and a very rare in this world opportunity. And we're, we're very privileged to have this opportunity to take this time to be, to be in silence and to explore our, our actual moment-to-moment life in this way. It's a real encouragement to, to take every moment of it, every take advantage of every moment that we have here and really dedicate ourselves to this exploration. And again, as I said last night, not in a way that it gets it gets burdensome and heavy and have have some lightness with it, but also to have the, the, the this this real sincerity of exploration, of investigation, of inquiry, of mindfulness. And, and through this investigation, may we all come to know the end of Dukkha. So let's sit together for a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm.